Welcome to Better Edge, a Northwestern medicine podcast for physicians. I'm Melanie Cole, and joining me today is Dr. Bradley Knight. He's the Director of Cardiac Electrophysiology at Northwestern Medicine, and he's the Director of the Heart Rhythm Center at the Bloom Cardiovascular Institute. He's here to highlight left atrial appendage closure device options at Northwestern Medicine for us today. Dr. Knight, it's a pleasure to have you join us. I'd like you to start by telling us a little bit about AFib and the prevalence. What's the scope of the issue that we're discussing here today? Thank you, Melanie. Yes, atrial fibrillation is an epidemic. We've just made it through a COVID-19 pandemic, but I think it's important to remember how high the incidence and prevalence are of atrial fibrillation and how it's projected to grow dramatically. About 10% of people over age 80 have atrial fibrillation. And as you can imagine, the drivers for this increased incidence of atrial fibrillation include the aging population and obesity. Obesity is another epidemic of its own, but it's really driven an increase in atrial fibrillation, particularly in young patients. So then tell us about your role at Northwestern Medicine's Bloom Cardiovascular Institute. I introduced you as the director of the Heart Rhythm Center there. Tell us a little bit about what that means. What do you do? I've been the director of cardiac electrophysiology here for 14 years. We have an outstanding group of interventional electrophysiologists with nine electrophysiologists downtown, and we have several electrophysiologists at the regional hospitals as part of Northwestern Medicine. I work with my colleague, Dr. Al Lin, who's the director of the Left Atrial Appendage Closure Program, and we have been very involved in the clinical trials that have led to the FDA approval of the Left Atrial Appendage Closure devices. Is offering left atrial appendage closure treatment options a priority at Northwestern Medicine, and, and why is that? Well, in general, our goals at Northwestern are to have new technology available to our patients, not just to have the technology available, but to have physicians here who have expertise with this technology. So we've been involved, as I mentioned, in all these clinical trials that have led to the approval of the amulet device and the watchman device. We have a lot of experience with other left atrial appendage closure devices, suture snare devices, and other closure devices. It's a priority because it's an important therapy to offer patients. Atrial fibrillation, as the listeners would know, is a, increases the risk of stroke, and these strokes can be devastating. Strokes related to atrial fibrillation tend to be large strokes. It can result in significant disability and mortality. And so for patients who have an indication for anticoagulation, which includes most of our patients who have a CHADS-VAS score of one or higher, if they have an indication for anticoagulation but are unable for a reasonable reason to continue taking it long-term, the alternative is really no anticoagulation versus left atrial appendage closure. So I think it's important to keep in perspective, a lot of these trials were comparing these devices and therapies to warfarin. The real clinical issue are patients who really cannot continue long-term anticoagulation, and their risk of stroke is significantly elevated off anticoagulation. So this is a therapy that we offer patients. We've been offering it for over a decade as part of uh, clinical trials, and now for several years as part of FDA approval. And also, we've expanded this to availability at the regional hospitals, including Central DuPage, the Northwest region, and the Palis Hospital region. Dr. Knight, I'd like you to speak about outcomes. Have these devices been successful in lowering stroke? And when we speak of treatment, I'd like you to speak a little bit about the problems you're really trying to solve. We're not really curing the AFib, correct? Just reducing the risk of stroke. 
rate control, anticoagulation, both. Tell us a little bit about your outcomes, what you're trying to do here. Well, when we see patients with atrial fibrillation, we like to focus on a few different aspects of their care. One is heart rhythm control, whether we should restore and maintain sinus rhythm, whether it's with antiarrhythmic drugs, cardioversion, or commonly catheter ablation, which is increasingly becoming a first-line therapy. We talk about rate control so that if they have breakthrough episodes, we can control the rate, which often improves their symptoms and can be sufficient for some patients. And then we talk about the lifestyle modifications that can be done to prevent recurrent atrial fibrillation. And talked about the obesity problem, but there are several modifiable risk factors for atrial fibrillation, including alcohol reduction, weight loss, and treating other comorbidities. But the emphasis really is on stroke prevention. As I mentioned, it can be really a, a devastating thing when a patient has a stroke. Often the first manifestation of atrial fibrillation is when patients present with a stroke or you're really unaware that they had atrial fibrillation. So our outcomes for this therapy really are to safely and effectively implant a device that lowers the risk of stroke. It has been shown in many clinical trials to be comparable to anticoagulation in ischemic stroke, but the cumulative benefit of avoiding anticoagulation includes a reduction in intracranial hemorrhage and major bleeding. And in some longer trials, there are some clues of a mortality benefit from left atrial appendage closure. You've touched briefly on patient selection. Tell us a little bit more about the criteria for determining if these devices are appropriate for a certain patient. Yeah, so in general, patients who are at risk for stroke, who have an indication for oral anticoagulation, who have a reasonable reason to not take it long term, are very good candidates for left atrial appendage closure. CMS or Medicare has guidelines for reimbursement that we follow very carefully. There are, I believe, six different criteria, which include procedural volume requirements by the physician, procedural volume requirements by the hospital, access to a heart team, and participation in the left atrial appendage closure registry. You mentioned quality and outcomes, and we very carefully every quarter review our outcomes and are quite pleased to say that our risk of major complications is about half of our other academic medical center peers. So it's an important therapy to offer patients, but it's really important to keep the complication rate low, which at this point is about 2 to 3%. The criteria really apply to patients who I think have a reasonable indication to come off of it. Some patients just have a preference. There are some trials ongoing right now for patients who don't have a real strong indication to come off anticoagulation to see which really is better. There's no evidence yet that appendage closure is superior to the novel or newer oral anticoagulants, but the CHAMPION trial and the CATALYST trial are designed just for that reason to randomize patients on NOACs to left atrial appendage closure to determine if it's superior to anticoagulation for patients who can tolerate anticoagulation. But currently, the indications are for patients who have contraindications. These usually include bleeding, you know, multiple falls resulting in bleeding, other intolerances to the oral anticoagulant, intracranial hemorrhage, for example. And those are the patients we really are focused on. You touched briefly on the different devices, Watchman and Amulet. Tell us about those, the ones that are currently available for this procedure, and why you might choose one over the other. Well, the experience that we've had at Northwestern has mostly been with the Watchman device, which is a plug device. We were part of their clinical trials and currently are implanting 
a far majority of our appendage closures are with Watchman. It's a plug device. It has five different sizes, and so we spend a lot of time making sure that we have a stable location with adequate compression of the device without a leak. And so we have a lot of experience with Watchman. The alternative device currently that's FDA approved is the Amulet made by Abbott, and we participate in the trials for that device as well. We tend to reserve that for patients who have a contraindication to the Watchman based on the size or shape of their appendage. There are some patients who have failed Watchman implants here or elsewhere who are referred for closure with Amulet. It's a slightly different device. It's a plug in the disc. So there's a lobe that is in the appendage that's anchored to the inside of the appendage and then with a disc that's pulled up against the face of the appendage. It's a two-part device, so it's a little bit more complicated. It comes in seven different sizes, but we have a lot of experience with both devices. In the past, there was the Lariat device, which was approved only for soft tissue closure. And once the Watchman and Amulet devices became FDA-approved and commercially available, we've had very limited implantation of this suture snare that was being performed previously as part of a trial as well. Dr. Knight, as an electrophysiologist, what do you find is the greatest challenge for you when using these devices, and how is it determined if it's properly placed? Well, one of the biggest challenges, honestly, is not the procedure. It's identifying suitable candidates, people that we think are good candidates who are going to benefit from it. Unfortunately, as I mentioned, atrial fibrillation is increasing as patients get older. We have a lot of patients who are in their 90s who don't tolerate oral anticoagulation, and would benefit from left atrial appendage closure, but these patients also can be quite frail and have a lot of other comorbidities. So we're trying to identify patients who we think over the next few years will benefit from a reduction in stroke. From a technical standpoint, we have continued to do our procedures under general anesthesia with transesophageal echo guidance, but we now have a lot of experience with intracardiac echo guidance. So for those who can't undergo TEE or general anesthesia, we can do these with ICE guidance alone. We still, for most of our cases, use both TEE and ICE. And on top of that, we have experience with the four-dimensional ICE or real-time 3D ICE. We place it in the left atrium at the time of the appendage closure procedure, and it really gives us uh, powerful anatomical guidance to place the device. This is an anatomically driven procedure with imaging, both with TEE, with ICE, and with fluoroscopy, and we use all these imaging modalities to really optimize the outcome. The technical challenges are to find the right device for the anatomy that the patient has. As we all know, the appendage is highly variable in size and shape, and you can have some that kind of fold back on themselves that we refer to as a chicken wing. Other shapes are more of just a straight windsock that you can place a plug device in more easily. So every case is a little bit different. The device that we have currently for the Watchman is the Watchman Flex. It has significant advantages over the Watchman 2.5 device that was available previously. We can now unsheath this into the shape of a ball and then advance it and reposition it, recapture it. So these technologies have been under development for years, but even the last modification that was just done a couple years ago has really greatly improved the safety and the success rate of implanting a left atrial appendage closure device. Tell us, are you using this procedure along with other adjuvant therapies or standalone? What's life like for the patient after these procedures? 
Well, this is pretty much a standalone procedure. There's some interest in doing this as a concomitant procedure at the time of an AFib ablation. We've done that rarely. You know, it adds complexity to an already complicated procedure. If you did an ablation procedure, catheter ablation for atrial fibrillation, and then placed an appendage closure. But it is tempting from the patient's standpoint. It's more of one procedure. There's reimbursement challenges because that's not currently an approach that's covered by most insurance companies. But from a patient perspective, we have people stay overnight still after appendage closures. They go home the next day. We usually recommend continuing oral anticoagulation for 45 days. Usually this is with a, a NOAC and aspirin, and at 45 days, transition them to aspirin and Plavix. That's how all the clinical trials really were done. Actually, they were with warfarin, but there's now approval and labeling for dual antiplatelet therapy. And so some patients who can't take NOAX will go home on DAPT for six months. So the challenge really right now, one of the technical challenges is coming up with a safe anticoagulation or antiplatelet regimen for the patients after the procedure. This is so interesting, and what an exciting time in your field, Dr. Knight, as we get ready to wrap up here. Are there any advancements on the horizon that are really exciting you in this field? What do you see the future holding for stroke reduction in AFib patients? Well, stroke reduction in AFib patients is going to be a combination of medical therapy and device therapy. There are actually some new oral anticoagulants, factor 11 inhibitors, which are showing promise in DVT prophylaxis and therapy. And so I think there will be some developments on the drug therapy arm. But from a device standpoint, again, these devices have been evolving for, uh, I've been involved in the appendage closure clinical trials for almost 20 years, and it's taken a long time to come up with new technologies. But there are many new appendage closure devices under development that seem promising. Even the currently available ones, the next iterations will be improved. As one example, one of the technical issues associated with the current devices is device-related thrombi, or DRT. There are some exciting developments that were announced and published at the Harvard meeting last month where the Watchman device, the Watchman Flex device, will be covered with a fluoride-containing or fluoride fluorocarbon polymer overlying the face of the device, which will lower the risk of device-related thrombi. So it would be great if we could actually implant these devices and really expose the patients to very little anticoagulation afterwards and avoid any clots forming on the devices themselves. Thank you so much, Dr. Knight, for joining us and giving us such a comprehensive overview of those left atrial appendage closer devices that you're using at Northwestern Medicine. And to refer your patient or for more information, please visit our website at breakthroughsforphysicians.nm.org slash cardiovascular to get connected with one of our providers. That concludes this episode of Better Edge, a Northwestern Medicine podcast for physicians. I'm Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for joining us today.